Thank you so much, Rick. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. While you're turning, let me thank all of you for your prayers for us while we were on the road to Dallas and uh, appreciate you praying. We got there and back with no bus trouble, no problems at all. And uh, let me thank uh, our young people uh, for, of course, being the youth group that you are, being able to take you on trips like this. No big problems that we had. Thanks, kids, for that. I appreciate my sponsors uh, who will go to uh, Dallas with us. A lot of work is involved getting these kids from one place to the other and a lot of organization involved when you have to deal with uh, what will you do for meals since you're on the run. Uh, those aren't provided as you are uh, going to the conference. You have to be very creative on when and where you're going to go for your meals. Uh, and of course, we appreciate all the organization and uh, the sponsors will tell you it it's no vacation to carry kids to soar. Some of you have, have done that before. Uh, it's a lot of work, but uh, they are, are excellent at what they do. I appreciate Brother Jeremy, and uh, only if you've been on this end of it is having to take care of hotel reservations. It's not as simple as making a phone call. Uh, first of all, a lot of times you can't put all the rooms under one name. You have to go through a process of putting four rooms under a lot of different names then you can't assume that they're going to get your kids all on the same floor. We've checked in before and had my kids spread out on five different floors. That's not working. So you have to do certain things at the front uh, desk to try to get that taken care of. Then you have to make sure you have two beds in each room. You would think, hey, it's a conference. They know teenagers are coming. You would think they'd block off rooms with two beds. Absolutely not. So Brother Jeremy got all this taken care of and all the behind-the-scenes work, and I appreciate him for doing all this organization, a fine group of sponsors and organizers to take care of all this. Thank you for allowing us to go. And I think all the kids would know it was a, a great conference. They've let you know it was a super conference. Good time. Uh, I think they were tired when they came home, but that's success. When they're, when they're worn out after a youth trip, we know we've done our job, right? Be reading in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? <clears throat> and again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold... A sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. Some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. 
And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. Likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and endure for only a time. After when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we learn about your word and our response to it. We know that there's a need in this room to hear these words today. I ask that exactly the words that are needed would be said and that you would do that part that only you could do, and that is to reach into our hearts with your message and your word for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This is another one of the most familiar of the parables. Three of the gospel writers give this parable. This one comes with an added bonus, and that is a detailed explanation. Why would Jesus teach in parables? This was a classic example of why it's important. You come to church, you're hearing me preach. If for some reason I get a little bit boring, I'm not real interesting, it's kind of tough for you to just get up and walk out because, you know, there's not a lot to keep your attention. This was an open-air meeting. These were multitudes by the seaside, and at any given time, anybody could lose interest and just walk away and wouldn't really attract any attention. There was really nothing keeping them there like there is maybe here with the walls around here, and you're just not going to get up and leave because preacher just not quite captivating enough. So Jesus knew he was going to keep their attention to keep them from drifting away. But then again, Jesus used the here and now to explain the there and then. The there and then being the kingdom of God in all eternity. Another lesson from the parables is this, and we don't want to miss this. Jesus showed us that we can see God in the ordinary things of life. Not a lot special about a sower and the seed. In fact, scholars seem to think simply because of the verbs that Jesus used, listen. And then he says, behold. Listen and look. That as Jesus stood on uh, the boat or sat in the boat and they stood on the shore, he could see beyond them and somewhere on a the hillside there was a sower. So he said, look at that sower. And they had an object lesson right there. This parable, they said, perhaps was not formulated over some desk in a study somewhere, but Jesus saw an opportunity of the ordinary and said, you can see God in the ordinary, even something as simple as the sower of the seed. In this parable, there's three main components. The sower, the man who, of course, is spreading the seed, the soil, 
which of course is really the focus, and the seed itself. This morning we'll look at two, the sower and the soil. We'll start with the soil. You know, of course, this is a familiar parable, there's four types of soils. Three were disappointments. But scholars want to be sure and note, don't jump to the conclusion that three-fourths of the seed was wasted on the non-productive soil. You might think, well, why would the guy throw seed just willy-nilly all everywhere? Well, that's not exactly how it happened. How it happened is the soil was prepared and broken up up to a point, and then the sower wanted to be sure to get seed over every single possible part of the good soil. So as he went to the edges, and it wasn't a precision instrument, he was throwing it by hand, some of it would lap over on the path that was between the gardens. And of course, some of it would get on the rocky soil, which we'll see later, looked a lot like the good soil, as did the soil with the weeds. So we understand we're not dealing with three-fourths of the seed being wasted because the sower just really didn't know what he was doing. And you also can't jump to this conclusion. I've had several of my colleagues in the ministry who have made the statement, well, because of this parable, we can come to the conclusion only three-fourths uh, three of the people in any given room are lost. And only one-fourth of the people that hear will be saved. You can't jump to that conclusion. The math is, this is not something about math that three-fourths of the people that hear will turn down the gospel. We don't have those ratios when it comes to the seed and what produced. So we can't go and push this parable to that length. What it does mean is this. In any given time, as we preach the word, there are typically four types of hearers. And I think we can see that. We've seen ourselves in this parable before. First of all, we have the soil by the wayside. We have paths in between the gardens. And to make sure he got it all the way to the good path, the good soil, and, and covered every possible part of it, some of it would get on that path. Soil couldn't get in. I mean, the seed couldn't get in. You had birds that would come. These are, are the, the people who refuse to consider that the word is even relevant in their lives. And we run into people like that, run into people like that quite often. Sometimes as you're dealing with teens and young people, they feel like, you know, anything that's not having to do with this generation, it's not relative to their life. God's word is so outdated. It is not relevant. It doesn't speak to today's generation and absolutely refuse to listen to it. Others have been fed so much that science has disproved the Bible for all these years, which it has not and will never do. That is just, this is the scientific age. We have no need for God's word. They absolutely will refuse to listen. That's the wayside soil. The stony ground is the shallow soil on bedrock. Now there's two issues. First of all, you have a fast and intense response simply because that soil is going to be a little bit warmer because you have the bedrock that is under it and the sun heats that up. So the seed that gets in springs up real quick, looks real promising. However, it looks like something it's not. Because as the soil is plowed up, it looks on the surface like the good soil. What determines if it's good soil or not? Time. 
time reveals the essence of the soil. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Then we have those among the thorns. You might say, well, that's kind of foolish that the, the sower would get that seed and he'd throw it over there in the thick of the thorns. doesn't start out that way. In fact, they would cut or burn off all of the thorns and the weeds and so forth. As best they could, they would clear it off. And then they would till it up where that soil, again, looked just like the good soil. So the word gets in. The word gets in, and it looks like the good ground until weeds start growing up. And really, when you get to looking at the weeds that are growing up, I think we can, uh, we can narrow this down to two things, worry and wishes. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things choke the word. Worry and wishes begin to spring up in our lives, and then the word is choked out. Then you have the good ground. The good ground is the vast, really the majority of the ground. As opposed to maybe our math, man, one-fourth of what he sowed was on good ground. You had the edges. You had the, the, the of course, the, the periphery of that, the, the parameters. And, and this is where the bad, the, the bad ground was. But then you had the main part of the good ground. And this will produce a harvest. Now, let's look at the sower. We look at the sower because... As we look at the souls, and we're going to circle back around to that, we deal with our response with receiving the word. And as we receive the word, and if our heart is good ground, ultimately we switch from being the soul to the sower. And all of us as believers, as Christians in the family of God, have the responsibility for spreading the word. So there's a pointed lesson in this parable about those who serve the Lord and concerning service. And this is important <clears throat> because I'm looking out at our, at our sowers of the word here, our Awana workers, our youth sponsors, our Sunday school teachers, those who share the word at your workplace and at your school. And here's the rule. Don't miss this. When it comes to serving the Lord, our level of output is directly affected by the direction of our outlook. Our level of output is directly affected by the direction of our output. Because the sower saw four different possibilities. You couldn't ignore them. Jesus said here's four different possibilities. Three of them were very discouraging. And any one of them will make you want to quit. Any one of them will make you want to quit if you're looking in that direction. First of all, let's look at the hard ground. Those who you never, ever seem to reach. They never respond. And they may be those that you hear all, that, you, you, that listen to you all the time that are here, sometimes upstairs with the youth, 
There's those kids you never, ever seem to reach. Sometimes when it comes to the Awana program, you have the kids who never, ever seem to want to listen, never, ever seem to get it. Sometimes even with adults, they never even listen. So here's the question we ask when we begin to look in that direction. And you see these people who never, ever seem to get it. The question you ask is this, is it me? Is it me? Is it just because they won't listen to me? It's not the seed. Because you remember he said the seed is the word of God. There's not a problem with the seed. And let me iterate here. If your heart is the hard ground and it's not getting in, you cannot blame the seed. So we understand the hard ground those who never hear, and you begin to doubt yourself. Is it me? Can somebody else do a better job here? Do I just need to quit and get out of the way? Then we have the stony ground. The stony ground is the frustration of frantic starters. When I say frantic starters, those who get on board and wonder why everybody else is not on board. And preacher, here's what we need to do, and here's what needs to be done, and we've got to get this, and let's rally the troops. But in a very short time, gone. Frantic starters and frequent quitters. And sometimes we're there. Sometimes it happens with church attendance. Start up doing real good. Then after a while, just kind of fade away. Of course, I'm preaching to the ones who are here. But you're here today. What about next week and the next week and the next month and the next year? Frantic starters or the ones who will initiate a program or a project. This is what we need to do. So everybody takes the effort, tries to get it going. And then you turn around and the starters nowhere to be found, just lost interest. That will make you want to quit. That will make everybody lose interest. Because all of a sudden you turn around and those who are on board are no longer to be seen. Then we have the thorny ground. When the church takes second place to everything else. Because what are we looking at? He said the thorny ground is when the word gets into the soil, but everything else crowds it out. And he gives us some very familiar Topics, the cares of this world. Care here is anxiety, worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, if I only had more. So I'm going to do what it takes to get more. I'll be happy. Things will be good. And the desires of this world, the desires of this other thing, well, desires of other things could be anything. It could be a thing. It could be recreation. It could be another pastime. The church has to compete with all these things. And you look around and the church is competing with all these things. And a lot of times these other things are winning. They're winning because families are not here because of all these other things. Or you can't plan something because of all these other things. Make you want to quit. 
if that's all that you look at, then there's this other part of this. The cares of this world is anxiety, worry. That is when pessimism and worry actually creeps into the personality of the church. We can't do that. We've never done that. We'll never be able to accomplish that. We can't pay for that. None of this will ever work. And all of a sudden, the pessimism works into the church. And sometimes this pessimism comes in just the forms of we can't do that. And sometimes, watch me, pessimism comes into that. And this anxiety comes in the form of criticism. You want to be sure and put yourself up to receive criticism? Step into a role of leadership. Initiate a project. Try to do something. When you try to do something, it's coming. And if all we do is look at the criticism and listen to the pessimism and see the negative, it will make you want to quit. Any one of these will make you want to quit. And three of them's come. It was a natural, inevitable part of sowing the seed that some of the seed would go there on the hard ground, some of it would get in the thorns, some of it would get in the shallow ground, and any particular farmer could look at it and say, this is pathetic, and I've had it. I'm done. I'm out here throwing the seed, and look at all the seed that comes to nothing. If you look at those three. But you know what? He keeps on throwing. He keeps on sowing. He keeps spreading the seed. Because what does he do? He looks past those other three. And he keeps his eye on the harvest. And what he sees is this. The harvest that's coming is worth the hassle of the other three. And it's worth the effort of taking that heavy seed bag. And it is worth the effort of walking everywhere he's got to walk and keep throwing the seed. His output is determined by his outlook. And his outlook is he sees what can be done and he sees what will be done. He knows his seed is good. So he keeps on throwing. He keeps on sowing. And he keeps right on after it. And that's why we have a church today is for centuries somebody kept throwing the seed even, even when there were three other possibilities they could have focused on. And any one of them would have made them want to quit. But you know what? We keep throwing the seed because we see people being saved. Kids coming to know the Lord. Adults with their lives turned around. Broken hearts mended. Grieving families comforted. Sick folks prayed for. All the while the seed is finding good ground and works being done. We look at that. So let me say again. Those who are serious about serving Christ, yes, we will see the other three possibilities. We can't ignore them, but you don't have to dwell on them. Where was his focus? On the good ground. And the good ground made it worth the effort. And it's worth our effort as a church. It's worth our expense as a church 
that we just keep on plowing and keep on sowing. Now the soils had no power to change the outcome. Soils soil. That by the wayside, that was the by the wayside. That in the thorns, that was on the thorns. See, that's where the parable differs. The soil really couldn't change the essence of what it was. We could change how we receive the word. We can change how we receive the word. The word, the seed, is good. The sower has been faithful to deliver it. The outcome of the word now is up to you. You and I bear responsibility as to what kind of soil the word will fall on in our lives. Can't blame anybody else because the word is good. The word has been sown and you and I are responsible. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, I don't know where this parable has hit you. Maybe you've never ever accepted Christ. The word, of course, is the gospel message of salvation. God wants to find its place into your heart and turn your life and your eternity around. Perhaps you're here and you acknowledge, I got a problem with how I'm dealing with the word. You want to change that. Maybe you're in service and you've been that close to quitting or already have. Listen, change the focus. Forget about these other possibilities. It's always worth it to do our work for the Lord. Regardless of the effort, the energy, and the cost, it always pays off. As we stand and sing. Number 107. <clears throat>